Hey friends, it is Wednesday, and that means another episode of Weekly Finds. In this episode, I distill the best content that I read last week and the key lessons that you need to take away from it so that you don't have to dig through the internet and find the gems out there. In this week's episode, we have partially rendered pages and sites, advanced Google Search Console performance patterns, that's a mouthful, guest posting on how to get it right, why SaaS copy should be short or should it be, and the entertainment value curve. Let's dig in. One. The first article from this week comes from my buddy and right technical all-stars brother, Bardash Karolovich. And he writes about the problems that Google faces with indexing sites and pages. And this is really important. So what's basically happening is that because Google you know, has to household with its resources, they sometimes don't index full parts of a site or even of a page, depending on whether it's relevant to the key topic or not. So you can imagine it like that. Say you're on a page that is about topic X, and at the bottom of that page, you find an internal linking module that is about topic Y. Google might choose to not index that link module because it's not really relevant to the page. Pretty crazy stuff. And so in this article, Bardo shows a couple of examples of big name sites like Walmart, Medium, or Verizon that are impacted by that problem. And so what you can do as an SEO is you can compare your mobile and desktop version of your site next to each other because due to mobile first indexing, there are quite a couple of problems that can come up with a mobile Googlebot rendering your site. As a next step, you want to run the HTML code of both of these versions, meaning mobile and desktop, through a tool called Diff Checker. And then in the last step, you want to see what your site looks like when you turn off JavaScript in your browser and then basically perform a site command for the parts that you cannot see to validate whether Google indexes those parts or not. The key lesson for me was the part about partial indexing. I wasn't really aware that Google chooses to sometimes not index certain parts of a page. And so I have to get back to G2 and the sites that I'm taking care of to see if I face that problem or not. Two. The second article for this week also comes from a member of the Right Technical All-Stars team, but I promise to God that this was not sponsored by Right. It was just a really good article. Izzy Smith wrote about advanced Google Search Console performance patterns. That's again, that's a mouthful, but what it basically means is that when Google tests results in the top 10, and these results show a low click-through rate, they tend to be kicked back to page two or three or even worse. So as you know, Google tests a lot of results and they have to prove themselves with a higher click-through rate, meaning with higher engagement. And Izzy shows a lot of really cool examples in our article of what that can look like and why. Sometimes it's because the snippet isn't really optimized, other times it's because the user intent isn't met. The key lesson for me here is to take a really close look at click-through rates for keywords that just recently jumped into the top 10 on Google. And then if they don't have a good CTR, to make sure I either improve the snippet or user intent of that content. Three. Alexandra Takalova wrote this really cool piece on Conversion Excel about how to get guest posting right. Guest posting, one of the most famous tactics out there to get links has 
really decreased in its efficiency over the last couple of years, at least after my mind. Right, This whole game of link building has really shifted more to relationship building and quality over quantity. Alex gives a lot of really helpful tips of how to improve your guest posting pitch and how to improve guest posts themselves. And I found some of them super helpful. I'll certainly adopt them. So one example that I want to highlight is that instead of pitching publications, what you want to do is build a large following on social networks and then use a tool like Follower Wonk, or there are certainly others, to find those followers that have great sites that you would maybe want a link from and then reach out to them because they already know you, they already follow you. So it's almost like a warm intro. Another tip is to use a tool like Ahrefs or whatever rank tracker you use out there to find links from guest posts of your competitors and then reach out to those sites as well. The key lesson for me here actually were a couple of tips for improving the pitch and the guest posts themselves. So one really cool idea is to include examples of previous guest posts you have written in your pitch. It's one of these super simple things that you tend to ignore or forget, but it can really prove your experience and be even a signal of authority. And then another tip that I thought was really cool is to include expert quotes in your guest post to foster relationships. So this way you build a relationship with the person that gives you the quote and with the person that manages the site you post on. And it's almost like a triangle of relationships. And as a result, you build a lot of relationships over time. Four. Copy Hackers published an article about the length of copy in the SaaS world. And this beast is really long. So let me try to distill that down. First, the main question that is challenged here in this article is whether copy should always be short. And as you can imagine, the answer is it depends. And what it depends on is the audience that you target with this copy and how known your product actually is. So this article explains a lot of myths that exist about the length of copy and um, clears them up. So one thing that, that Eddie Schleiner, for example, taught me that really stuck with me is that if people are curious about something, they're going to read. But of course, it doesn't mean that you just you know write as long as you can. You will lose people at some point of time. Another part of that is that a lot of sites are designed you know, with a design-first mindset and not with a copy-first mindset. And that means that in a lot of cases, copywriters are forced to operate within a very narrow space. Another part of the problem is that a lot of sites just copy other sites and a lot of marketers copy other marketers. And the last part is that there are rarely true comparisons between long form and short form copy. Again, the copy has to evolve with your product and with your market position. The key lesson is that copy length is not really as important as the message itself, how trustworthy it is, and how much friction readers encounter along the way. Five. As always, I'm trying to finish with a bang, which means that if you don't listen to the end, you'll miss the best piece. And the best piece from this week comes from Reforge and is titled The Entertainment Value Curve, Why TikTok is on Fire and Quibi Isn't. There is a lot to unpack in this article, but one of the coolest concepts that I came across here is that platforms exist along a social value curve. So one example is that Snapchat has a very low production value, but it is very connecting. It's very easy to share. Netflix, on the other hand, has a super high production value, but it's not really sociable. So the best way for you to, to determine how sociable your product actually is, is to compare the number of creators on your platform with the overall user base. Meaning the higher the share of users to actually create content, the more sociable 
your content actually is. And that was really a revelation to me, if you will. As a result of that, content recommendation algorithms create some sort of a power curve that shows the views per content piece versus the number of users, meaning how many users have how many eyeballs on how many pieces of content. And that determines or shows the efficacy of your content distribution. Snapchat, for example, has a very flat curve because there are lots of eyeballs on lots of different pieces of content. And Netflix has a very steep curve because there are very many eyeballs on few pieces of content. And all of that tells you a lot about how efficient the distribution of that content actually is and how effective. For me, the key lesson here is that TikTok is in part so successful because they have this smooth loop of content creation, consumption, and sharing. The line between creators and consumers is really blurred. And Quibi didn't do that. You know, Quibi really just tried to mimic certain trends that they saw on the market, like people watching short form content on, on smartphones, but they didn't really understand the relationship between sociability and entertainment. So check this piece of content out. It's really long, really in-depth, but fantastic. And at the end also gives a couple of tips of what Quibi could do to maybe turn its business around and save it from failure. That's it for this week. Thank you very much again for tuning in. And remember that only members get the show notes and written content, plus the links to the articles in their inbox every Wednesday. I'll hear you next week.